This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Equity Bates! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We've got another pitch for the Equity Mates community watch list. Yes. Which are episodes that we love because we generally find... uh, you know, companies that we haven't heard of before, or we find people that have done a lot of work on companies that can really uh, open our eyes to what's out there. So uh, excited to get stuck into this one. Absolutely. We've got some returning pitchers joining us. Their last pitch uh, was an absolute cracker. Uh, But before we get stuck in, we just want to quickly address the community watch list versus the Equity Mates hypothetical portfolio. If you're wondering where that has got to, uh, we have an update on that. Yeah, yeah. We look where uh, we want to expose the Equity Mates community to as many stocks as possible, but we want to do it in a way that you know isn't making buy, hold, or sell recommendations, isn't uh, getting us in trouble with ASIC. <laughs> um, so we are uh, rather than talking about a portfolio and talking about buying things for the portfolio, uh, just to err on the side of caution, uh, we are just talking about the community watch list. And, um, you know, obviously you always have to do your own research, but we figure this is just the uh, safer way to expose everyone to to the companies that are out there and to, I guess, to the work that people in the Equity Mates community are doing. So if you're wondering why the name change, um, that's why. The, the content hasn't really changed. Um, it's just about how we package it all up. Nice. So, without further ado, it is our pleasure to welcome to the community stock pitch here on Equity Mates, Forez Salikian and Philip Newen, who are both from the University of Western Australia Student Managed Investment Fund. Boys, welcome. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So, if you will recall, we had Ben on uh, last year who pitched Citadel uh, based on the work that Smith had been doing and uh Soon after that, they uh, had a takeover offer, and the stock. I'm going to say it was an, it was an equity mates bump. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, we have uh, Forrest and Philip here who are going to be pitching uh, Technology One, which is a stock that they've been looking at, and uh, we'll get uh, get your opinion on it in a second. Yeah. So before we do, uh, Forrest, for you're the CIO uh, at uh, Smith. Um, for people who are interested in uh, in what you guys are doing, if they're uni students that want to create something similar, or if they're uh, uni students at University of Western Australia that want to join you, can you just introduce Smith and uh, maybe your investment philosophy there? Yeah, absolutely. So Smith stands for the Student Management Investment Fund. It was founded in 2014 um, with the aim of providing students the ability to uh, experience funds management and equity research in a safe and controlled environment with the help of industry sponsors. So the club is split into three teams. We've got the marketing team, the investment team, and the economics team. So Philip and I from the investment team and what our responsibility is to manage um, $20,000 on behalf of our sponsor by Burnham Funds. And what we do is we conduct equity research and prepare pitches, which we then present to Burnham um, to get feedback on on the work that we've done and to ultimately decide 
uh, whether or not to invest in um, the stock. Now, in terms of our philosophy, we manage a high conviction fund of eight to 12 stocks. Um, so obviously we're very concentrated in our portfolio. So we need to have a lot of confidence in the businesses that we own. Now, in order to um, have a lot of conviction in our positions, we spend a lot of time doing deep dives um, on companies to make sure we know the businesses inside and out. And each investment team might spend one to two months looking at a stock before we make a decision. And um, as Howard Marks likes to put it, we like to invest scared uh, to, to make sure we know everything about the companies we invest in. Um, in terms of characteristics, uh, Smith likes to look for high quality businesses at an attractive price that are easy to understand. So a lot of the businesses we do uh, are quite simple. For example, Jumbo Interactive and LaVisa. Um, we find that those kinds of businesses, the information is um, quite easy to digest. Uh, we also look for businesses that have a sustainable load or competitive advantage that allows them to generate a high return on invested capital to drive earnings growth. In the portfolio, we've got a mix of value and growth, uh, but we do care about the price that we pay. So we do spend quite a bit of time modelling. Um, in particular, we do DCS and comps just to see if there is any mispricing um, and whether the stock is undervalued. Um, now, oftentimes, uh, times mispricings arise from transformations that happen internally within a business. So, in the case of TNE, obviously uh, Philip will go into more detail, but they're shifting to more of a SaaS-style operation. So, we like to look for that. And on top of that, we like to look for stocks where um, they're in an industry that the entire industry is growing, not just the stock itself, um, and that provides the stock with structural tailwinds to propel it into the future. Nice. So uh, a pretty a pretty good uh, philosophy there and interested to see how it plays out with this pitch. So, Philip, let's start at the top. Um, we're going to be chatting about Technology One. The ASX ticker is TNE. Can you tell us about Technology One and what it does? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Technology One is an ASX-listed global technology company and they offer enterprise resource planning or ERP software services across the entire enterprise of their clients. So ERP is essentially a software system which caters to the core processes um, which exist in almost every business. So things like human resources, payroll management, accounting and financials and inventory management. And because of the agnosticism of these backbone processes in that almost all businesses, irrespective of which industry they operate in, um, need them, what we found is that TNE operates across a broad range of verticals. So they mainly target local governments and that comprises over a third of their revenues but they've also got a sizable presence in the education, state and national governments and health and infrastructure industries. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of market capitalization, they're at around $3.2 billion, which is actually quite high for what Smith usually looks at. But given the high quality nature of the business, we, we kind of overlooked this a bit. Um, and yeah, we found that overall, the, comp the company had a combination of, you know, really attractive defensive qualities, and they've also got some good um, growth opportunities, which uh, we'll touch on later. But yeah, unfortunately, we found the valuations to be a bit too high for our liking right now. So yeah, um, as you said earlier, we we did decide to put it um, on our funds watch list. So uh, just in terms of setting the scene, uh, it's an Australian listed company. Uh, what geographies does the business operate in? The majority of its revenues right now comes from Australia and New Zealand. Um, but it has been expanding into the United Kingdom. And right now, the UK makes up around 4% of its uh, revenues. Yeah, nice. Now, um, uh, Foraz, in your uh, introduction there, you mentioned that the business model was changing. So, uh, Philip, can you just talk us through 
um, I guess, that evolution, what technology one's uh, old business model was and what it has transitioned to? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was actually one of our main um, thesis points. So, yeah, as uh, Forrest was saying before, one of management's digitization strategies is actually to divest their company's business away from these outdated uh, legacy operations is what they're called. So legacy operations are basically software that it fits the purpose for their clients right now, but it's actually incapable of updating to meet their changing needs. And they're shifting over to SaaS, so software as a service operations, whereby they're developing the software and installing it in-house. Um, and they also give their clients two contractually promised um, updates each year. Um, and yeah, we just think that this strategy is really prudent for them because it's mutually beneficial. So for the company, it's a higher, SaaS is a higher margin business because they can build a standardized ERP product in-house and install it in-house, which reduces costs for them. And then for their clients as well, such as local councils, uh, we did a lot of research into case studies of their local councils and we found that um, their current legacy systems just simply don't meet their needs anymore. Um, and they don't wanna be spending more money to replace it by having to pay these legacy annual fees every year. So they'd rather just adopt a SaaS contract alternative which gives them these free updates um, every year free of charge. So let's uh, let's take a step back. Uh, we're really fascinated uh, when we speak to you know people pitching stocks or to expert investors about their process in researching companies and, and finding these gems. Um, so Philip, can you talk us through uh, your research and filtering process, uh, both how you first discovered TNE? And then uh, I guess the due diligence you did on the company uh, before making a recommendation to hold it. Yeah. So um, in terms of looking at these companies, there are many key kind of factors that we um, look at. So um, I think Forrest will touch on them a little bit more. But just in terms of technology one itself, we the research process for us was um, looking at kind of the specific aspects of technology businesses that really made them stand out compared to their um, competitors. So in the case of SaaS business, it's it's things like uh, customer retention rate, churn rate, their ability to generate um, recurring revenues. But um, yeah, in terms of the entire research process, I'm looking at it. I think Forrest can um, speak a bit more to that. Yep. So normally what we do at Smith, we use quantitative screens to um, actually filter through stocks and um, find these gems. So Normally, uh, screens would have a number of different metrics, including market cap. We like to look for micro caps and small caps anywhere between 50 mil and three, uh, 2 bill. Other metrics include things like return on invested capital, whether the company's cash flow positive or not, and other metrics that we think can help us narrow down the universe of stocks to help it fit the philosophy. But in practice, this doesn't always happen. So uh, you might remember Ben saying that he found Citadel through the Equity Mates community. We actually found TNE as a result of the Citadel pitch. So that team that was working on Citadel was looking for comparable companies and one of them was Technology One. And what they found was that uh, they met pretty much all of our criteria in terms of having a sustainable long-term track record of operations and profitability. And it really fit into um, and aligned with our philosophy. And although it might've been outside our market cap range, we thought it would be good to dig deeper and learn a bit more about SaaS businesses and have a look at technology one and if there was a significant drop in price we thought it, we might pick it up and put it in the portfolio so there's no doubt that the software as a service industry is providing plenty of opportunities for investment and is is uh is growing at pretty accelerating rates 
Where does uh, Technology One sit within its landscape of uh, competitors and what are some of their major competitors? So Technology One actually operates in the Australian market with a really large, kind of large scale globally acclaimed um, competitors. So we're talking about the likes of Sage, Oracle, Infor and Microsoft. So all of these have their own enterprise resource planning uh, segments of their business. Um, but the thing that we're seeing with Technology One is that, especially here in Australia, they're able to uh, sustain their competitive uh, positioning as a result of um, their security certifications. So our analysis shows that out of those um, competitors, they have the highest um, number of security certifications. And we think that this is really important considering the climate that we live in right now, where um, the shift to online as a result of COVID-19 has meant there's been um, there's probably never been a greater demand for uh, good and um, secure data management. Um, and yeah, I think the success of their competitive positioning when compared to you know Oracle and Microsoft is seen in the fact that they've actually been able to take clients away from their competitors. So for example, in FY20, they took uh, more than 30 clients from yeah Oracle and Microsoft and Infor. So we do think that they are. Uh, definitely holding themselves um, well in their industry. And yeah, they, it is an industry that, as you said, is primed for growth. And we think that these competitive advantages and their barriers to entry give them a real edge to grow their business. Before we move on, uh, we're just going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So I'm going to assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I'm going to assume that uh, SAP, SAP, is the biggest ERP uh, like software company in the world. Um, and I think a lot of people who work in big businesses will be familiar with SAP. And I think, I guess like software as a, as a general proposition is characterized by, you know, longer sales cycles and, um, you know, I guess difficulty to take, um, you know, to transition businesses from one software platform from another just because of all the complexity that comes with, with that transition. 
Um, so you mentioned that they're taking customers off Oracle. I assume they're also taking customers off SAP. What are, what are some of the key selling points for Technology One's ERP system? You mentioned security, but are there any others that are really driving this these customers to change? Yeah, so the, the security certifications is usually the main one for them, um, especially considering that they've consistently improved their uh, um, certifications, for example, with ISOs and IRAPs over the past few years. But we do think that they've also got a strong network effects just as a result of um, how long they've been operating in and the quality of their clients as well. So we're talking about, you know, blue chip clients uh, as well as um, national and state government agencies and then other public institutions like universities and hospitals as well. So it's that network effect that also drives um, their competitive positioning, especially considering that, as I was saying before, their revenues are dominated uh, in Australia and um, New Zealand. And then I guess another thing that you kind of touched on before as well is the high switching costs. So businesses that have partnered with Technology One are more likely to be reluctant to switch over to competitors just because there are so many uh, costs involved with transferring large quantities of data and the vulnerabilities that exist in terms of cyber attacks in transitioning um, this data. And also considering that the company enters into longer term contracts with these businesses, they're more likely to stick with um, Technology One just because of how much they've already invested in these uh, longer term contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that cy- that cybersecurity point is is a critical one. Um, you know, Bryce and I aren't working at our corporate jobs anymore, but just the the increase in the amount of emails and reminders and all that stuff we got about cybersecurity. So if you can offer a more secure platform, I can see how that would be incredibly attractive. So we've touched on you know what the what the company does, how you found it, the industry. Um, let, now let's get into I guess the the positives and the negatives of, of the company as an investment option. Um, so for Smith, you didn't pitch it as a buy, you pitched it as a hold. Um, so, but let's start with the positives. Um, what do you like about Technology One as a company um, and a, as an investment? I think I touched on a little bit of um, some of those reasons. So as I was saying before, their digitization strategy, um, it's providing them with more recurring revenues. And we like this just because it gives them more earnings visibility and kind of earning stability over the medium to long run. And we also found that um, despite them decreasing their reliance on legacy uh, uh, legacy revenues, so it dropped from, 10%, from 18% of their revenues in 2019 to just 10% of their revenues in 2020, they were still able to grow uh, their overall revenues o- uh, overall just as a result of the success of this transition to SaaS. Um, and then another positive thing that we found was that, as you also mentioned before, this uh, SaaS industry is growing and we see it uh, reaching about $123 billion over the next two years. But w- even within that, there are other growth opportunities within the verticals. So we'll start with the government vertical where they, as I said before, derive the majority of their revenues. There's now greater demand for secure data and yeah, uh, technology ones uh, certifications put them in a prime position to capitalize on that. But then in education, we're also expecting certain elements of online learning to persist post COVID, which should help T&E as its education clients can use their platform, their software platform to carry out these back end administrative tasks, such as you know tracking enrollments and admissions. 
Um, and like what Ben was saying last year with Citadel, we continue to see healthcare ICT as being one of the fastest growing sectors, and that's driven by you know the proliferation of e-health and a shift to processing patient records and surgical procedures online. Um, and then I guess another key aspect of that, that we found attractive about the company was their management. So we're, what we're seeing is actually a high, highly experienced team that's deeply aligned with the company. So insider ownership in the company is quite high at 16%, which is uh, higher compared to similar SaaS uh, and technology companies on the ASX. And this shows that management's highly incentivized to grow the business because they've got skin in the game. And it's also good to note that the founder actually still retains a 7% stake in the business. Um, and then, yeah, moving on to, you know, um, their remuneration uh, structure, we think that the system that they've got for remuneration is also really good. They track uh, their remuneration based on net profit before tax. And on this basis, we're seeing that their remuneration is actually growing really well in line with their net profit before tax over the past few years. Um, and then we're also seeing that market value is actually growing faster than remuneration, which shows that the structure is serving them well, because for every dollar that they spend on remuneration, they're able to actually generate more than $1 in market value. Uh, so yeah, we, we got a really good feeling that this was a management team that really was aligned with the company. And that's you know always an important consideration to make in any company. Um, and then I guess the last uh, good point that we found, and it's perhaps the most, the single most distinguishing factor that separates Technology One as a high quality business is its longevity. So it's been operating for more than 30 years since 1987, and I believe they uh, they listed on the ASX in 1999. And over their history, they've operated profitably for the past 29 years. And if you actually look at a, a kind of shorter term snapshot over the past 11 years. The company's been able to grow its profit year on year uh, without fail at a 12% CAGR from around 157 million in 2011 to almost 300 million um, in 2020. Um, and what's more, they haven't kind of left their shareholders behind in this pursuit for growth, which is what we might see in some other companies. So their dividends per share has also been growing at around an 8% CAGR and their earnings per share has also remained uh, really robust. So it's grown from around 14.2 cents per share in 2016 to almost 20 cents per share in 2020. Um, and yeah, we're just seeing that not only are they able to achieve this profitability, but the earnings, the quality of these earnings are also really uh, good for them. And so we used uh, the cash conversion ratio to track that. And we're seeing that um, almost all of their net income is being converted into cash flow, which is uh, really attractive um, for us just because not only does it give them um, greater liquidity, they're, they're currently operating at a net cash balance, but it also gives them more flexibility to pursue their growth opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's just an overall, I think, a good company. Um, but yeah, in terms of the negative qualities, just the main aspect was uh, the price. Right now, we think that the valuations are a bit too high for our liking right now, especially since we are a high conviction fund. And as far as was saying before, we do really care about the price at which we enter into these positions. Um, but yeah, we've added it to our watch list. You, you covered it all, Philip. <laughs> Left no room for questions. But um, I think, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, it's a pretty compelling case given the tailwinds for the industry, uh, you know, it's uh, digital transformation, um, you know, the the, the trust, I guess, in the platform itself, um, 
you've touched on management there and the inside ownership, which is always an important thing to look for, um, as well as the alignment of remuneration um, and its business model. It sounds like it's a, a pretty healthy company in terms of its financials, uh, profitability, profitability, and also the, the quality of its earnings. Um, so really, it sounds like it's just coming down to the valuation side of things. Um, are there any key... But I guess to close it out, it's obvious that it's a hold because in your view, it is too uh, expensive. Um, are there any sort of key risks or headwinds that it might be facing into over the next 12 months that might lead to it coming back in price a little bit and f- therefore appearing in your portfolio? Um, yeah, so I think... The main risk that our team discussed and we found was the COVID integration risk. So during the height of the pandemic and even now, we're seeing a flurry of activity in terms of companies trying to um, move their operations as much online as possible um, just to facilitate uh, working from home as well as um, in-person personnel. Um, And what we found and what this was actually um, what management admitted themselves was that there's a high risk that um, because of the, that, this flurry of activity, companies are going to struggle to integrate all of the SaaS business, all of the SaaS uh, software that they've been using. Um, and so, if they're able, if they struggle to find um, kind of these synergies to help them integrate their um, software platforms, then this could have a material impact on um, the company, on Technology One's ability to uh, service their clients' needs, as well as um, also their ability to. Uh, extend their contracts as well as to find new um, clients. Um, and then I guess a smaller one, a smaller uh, risk that we had considering that their presence in the United Kingdom is quite small right now is the vaccination um, risk. Um, and also to a certain extent here in Australia as well, we both countries are uh, kind of aggressively expanding their vaccination campaigns. But um, I think, you know, right now this general consensus is, is it's quite um, positive, especially in the United Kingdom. But there is a risk that if they are unable to um, fully um, roll out their vaccination um, campaign or if um, lockdowns and restrictions are eased too early, there is certainly a risk that um, they would uh, face a material downturn in their financials. Um, and then I guess the final risk that we have is concentration. So in their annual report, they do say that um, no client makes up uh, more than 10% of their revenues, I believe, or something along those lines. But we would like to see a bit more disclosure around their client concentration um, numbers. And then, yeah, just in terms of their revenue makeup, their government, um, so local government plus uh, national government combined makes up more than 50% of their revenues. So kind of a material shift in the industry um, in the government industry could um, potentially be bad news for them. But um, yeah, they're, they're just kind of the three main risks that we found. Yeah. Nice. Well, if you guys have it as a hold, we will um, put it on the community watch list and uh, keep keep track of it. And, uh, you know, you guys have put forward a, a pretty compelling and detailed uh, case. And I think you've given a pretty good insight into how you go about your investment uh, process and and develop a thesis. So uh, I would also encourage everyone listening uh, to just remember that uh, 
this is part of the student managed investment fund at the University of Western Australia. So they do put a lot of time and, and effort in uh, to make these uh, investment thesis and, and cases. If you would like to come on the show to pitch your uh, thesis for a company on the community watch list, then please do reach out, uh, head to our website or hit us up on socials. But don't feel put off that you need to present uh, one in such detail. Yeah, I, I was looking through their deck before and I'm confident that I've never put a deck together like that for any of my <laughs> yeah. investments. So it's impressive what you guys are doing and I think it's a, it's a really cool thing that um, you have the opportunity to do. I mean, I think about our time at uni and I would have loved to have done something like this. So um, yeah, well done. But for other people listening, don't don't be put off because of the work that these guys have done. Yeah. Uh, if you would like to have a look at their deck, uh, reach out to us and we'll touch base with the boys and uh, see if there's room to share some of their info. But um, otherwise, uh, Philip and Forrest, it was great to have you on. Uh, very much appreciate your time. Uh, you did you did a great job and we look forward to getting uh, the Smith team back uh, at the end of next semester. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, guys. Nice one. Well, that brings us to the, to the end of today's episode. Always good to chat stocks, Ren, and uh, we'll pick it up next week. Sounds good. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.